0: Liz Henkel at TIA National Headquarters, and we are pleased to welcome you to the Transportation Intermediaries Association's TIA Delivers Podcast. TIA, the trusted voice for third-party logistics companies of all sizes. Thank you in advance for joining. In this episode of TIA Delivers Podcasts, we sit down with the founding partner of Prosperio Group, Beth Carroll. Beth discusses her recent article series in the 3PL Perspectives magazine, Going Beyond Commissions. And thanks to our podcast sponsor, the TIA Foundation, influencing through pl growth and profitability for over 40 years. The TIA 2021 Capital Ideas Conference delivered virtually May 11th through 13th will include a variety of learning opportunities and formats, including bite-sized learning labs, formal panel discussions, topic-specific roundtables, and main stage sessions. As the only conference specifically designed for the brokerage-based 3PL industry, the TIA 2021 Capital Ideas Conference will bring together thought leaders, 3PL professionals, and industry innovators to deliver timely and relevant content for the field and provide a networking platform to encourage peer connections both during and after the three-day event. To learn more or to register, please visit tianet.org backslash meetings. Good afternoon, Beth. I'd like to start off by thanking you for joining us today to discuss your Going Beyond Commission's 3PL Magazine article series. How are you doing today? I'm doing
1: awesome, Liz. How are you?
0: I'm good. Um, So if you're ready to get started, we can go ahead and jump right in. Absolutely. Alrighty. So in your first article of your recent series in the 3PL Perspectives magazine, going beyond commissions, using goals to get exactly what you pay for, you focus on linear incentives. Can you speak a little bit about why goal-based linear incentives are what are most prevalent?
1: Um, Well, I don't know that I would say they are most prevalent, but they certainly are very common. They're outside of the transportation world. They are actually really commonly used for quota-based sales reps. So if a sales rep carries a quota, um, and they are paid based on their performance relative to that quota, it is very common to use a linear incentive to calculate that payout. So really what it does is it just basically creates a line that connects the relationship between performance, percentage of goal attained, and pay stated as a percentage of target incentive. Um, And so lots of times people will do that, and they'll do the line that has a slope of one. So basically 80% of gold pays 80% of the incentive, 100% pays 100%, 120% pays 120%. That's not a particularly sophisticated way to do comp design. And it actually fails to really create motivation to get reps to want to be above 100%. So instead, I like to scale it where 50% maybe. Eighty percent of gold may pay may pay fifty percent of the incentive. A hundred percent is going to pay a hundred percent, obviously, and then maybe at a hundred and twenty percent they get a hundred and fifty or two hundred percent of their incentive. So that actually creates a scale; it creates motivation. So I guess that's why they're pretty commonly used. But um, commissions are still another really common method of paying salespeople. I just wanted to make sure that people were aware that commissions are not the only
0: way to pay salespeople. Okay. Makes total sense. (laughs) Um, Then for your next article in your series, you focused on tier incentives. Um, One of the examples that you gave was based on gross profit percentage. In roles like revenue per miles and on-time delivery, why is the tier incentive method a good choice?
1: That's an awesome question, and it actually came up recently in a client design discussion that I had um, where the client wanted to use a linear incentive for something, and I really was like, hmm, it really should be tiered, and they were asking me why, and so I kind of thought through it, and it's, it's a couple reasons. So tiered scales work for things that you have to accumulate a couple of to be sure that you're going to get value. Right. So it's not every additional single thing you don't know for sure that that's going to add value to the bottom line, unlike with revenue or gross profit dollars. Right. Like one more gross profit dollar adds value to your company. So it's okay to pay a linear incentive, which is basically paying more money for every additional percentage of goal attained. A tiered scale, you're, you're bucketing things that you have to get like 10 of them to be sure you've got some value. So I use tiered incentives for things, um, that you have to count, like, um, number of new customers could work or, um, repeat carrier usage or something like that. I also use tiered incentives for things that have what I call a natural cap. So like gross margin percentage is a great example of that. Like you could set somebody a goal that they have to have 15% average gross margin percentage for the month theoretically, you could use a linear incentive to pay against that. Um, but they are never going to get, like, there's a natural cap to that where, you know, they're probably not going to get much beyond, say, 30 or 40 percent average for the month. I mean, if they're hit 40 percent, you're doing really, really well. Um, so, for those, and also there's there's some downside. You actually don't want your employees gouging your customers. So you actually kind of want to cap those out. And so for those, I tend to use tiers because it's, you know, you're going to set a tier range that maybe is 15% to 16%. Any place in there is pretty good, right? So that might be your target. And then your next tier is 16.1 to 17%, and then 17.1 to 18%, right? So when they hit within the tier, that determines how much money they get. But then it usually stops. There's a point above which they don't get additional compensation. So things like that, um, revenue per mile. So for companies that have assets out there, if you're measuring revenue per mile, typically that's going to be kind of bucketized as well, because the difference between, you know, 1.25 and 1.28, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's important, but it's probably okay to pay the same amount of money for somebody that falls in that range.
0: Right. Um, Just a small follow up question on that. You mentioned how you want the cap there so that people can't go uh, like get hit a certain level and then um, cap off their incentives. Um, Have you ever gotten the question or dealt with a scenario where you get that far and then people kind of stop or uh, slow down or don't really want to go further because there's nothing in it for them then? Well, that's why I don't
1: cap things that drop to the bottom line. So like the revenue or the gross margin dollars, typically for those parts of the plan, I would recommend them being uncapped for the producers that are actually driving that part of the business. So you're exactly right. You want to make sure that you're not capping the performance measures that are driving your bottom line results. So typically those are financial things. So I'm not going to cap um, revenue, gross margin dollars, Um bounties that are paid for new customers, things like that. Typically, yeah, pay them. The sky's the limit on those kinds of things. But there are other things that you are going to want to cap. So I typically cap team based payouts because you don't want everybody on the team getting unlimited payout when it may have been only one person who drove the result. So I will cap team based payouts and then I will cap things that are of kind of diminishing returns or what I say have a natural cap anyway. Like gross margin percentage has a natural cap, it has a natural cap and there could be some negative things that happen if you tried to drive people to get you know 40, 50 percent gross margin. I mean it's just it's not sensible from a business perspective to do that. Right, right.
0: okay. Um, in your third article in the series, you provide examples for how employers can handle incentive compensation for non-traditional roles such as HR, IT, accounting individuals. Um, in your opinion, what is the best strategy for a company when selecting an incentive program for these people? Um, my first advice on this is be sure
1: you really want to do it because it ends up being a lot of work And there's really not the same level of return that you're going to get from incentive compensation for these roles that you're going to see from your sales and operations roles. So Mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you really want to undertake this and that you're committed to it because it's hard to take money away once you've given it. So you could end up actually damaging the morale of the company if you start down this path, have them be on incentives for six months and then decide it's too much work and take it away. If you do decide you want to do it, and usually it's for reasons like you want to make sure that they feel like they're a part of the team when business is booming, your billing department has to work harder, right? So you want them to see some benefit from that, but you don't want it to just be a generic profit sharing where they just get extra money at the end of the year if the company did really well right? That that always works. It's fine. It works as a thank you, but it doesn't really do much to drive performance. So if you want to do something that's really grading people on their performance, there's lots of ways you can do it. And I break it down into two categories of things. So there's things that these people do, that these roles do, that are um, recurring, right? So it's things like in accounting, measuring day sales outstanding, measuring average time to bill, it's accuracy, right? So it's, it's the core parts of their day-to-day business that they repeat all the time that you're going to want to measure on a quarterly basis, how well they're doing against standard uh, metrics that you have set for those repeated activities. For those kinds of things, you're going to want to use a KPI table. And I think there was actually a sample of it in the article. Mm -hmm. Um, so for that, you're going to want to measure them regularly and grade them on a simple scale, one to five and, um, have them be paid out based on how well they're doing against those things. The other part is for one-offs. So, and this is typically going to be found more in like your IT department, your marketing department, your senior leaders from a strategic perspective where you have special projects. Okay. When you have them do something that has a beginning and an ending yep. to it, so it's a special project you know, implementing a new TMS system, it's extra work above and beyond what they typically do. For those kinds of things, you're going to want to use an MBO. MBOs just simply stands for management by objectives. And so what I do is I say, you know, we're going to figure out what the target incentive amount should be for this role based on market value of the role using um, the survey that I work on with the TIA, et cetera. Um, Then you're going to say, how much of that do we want to allocate to uh, the MBO portion of their incentive plan? Let's say it ends up being $5,000. Then you're going to go to the leader uh, in charge of that role and you're going to say, Think about what the objectives are. What are the special projects that this person is going to be working on this year? You've got $5,000 that you can use to reward them when they complete those projects, you know, timely, on budget, et cetera. So write up what the objectives are. Write up how you know it is completed. So think about setting SMART goals, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. Um, set those out, and then you attach dollars to them. And when the person completes that goal, when they check the box, that's when they get that incentive money. So it's two very different things. You can have KPIs and MBOs in the same role. You certainly can. Like your head of accounting, you could measure them based on DSOs, time to bill, etc., and then also have an MBO component to it. Typically, you're not going to have MBOs down too far in the organization because you wouldn't want to be setting them for all of the different clerical level roles that you might have. Usually at that level, you're just seeing um, KPIs. In the middle, you're going to see both. And then maybe when you get to the very top, you're just going to see MBOs.
0: Okay. Okay. Throughout the three articles that you've written so far for this series, um, you always touch on psychological and motivational value. Could you talk a little bit about incentive plans and just overall commissions um, and how those impact psychological and motivational values? Oh, yeah. Um, I could talk for a long time on that. So but
1: but I will try to be brief. Um, So there really is an intertwining of incentive compensation in terms of what it does. Obviously, it impacts people's pay, but there's a lot that comes from it that really is psychological. So I always tell my clients that half of my job is math. I spend a lot of time in spreadsheets and you know working in Excel, um, and then half is psychological. So it's always thinking about what are we telling people by this incentive plan? For example, I'm working with a client right now that their current plan only has like if if the team is at 80% of goal, then they get 80% of their calculated incentive. If they're at 90% of goal, they get 90%, et cetera. At 100%, it stops, right? So there's no value for being above 100%. Right. And so what I said to them is basically you're telling your people the only thing they can do is lose, right? All they can do is lose money. Yeah, you have to give people some upside. You have to give them some opportunity to make money above 100% rather than just taking it away from them. Mhm. So, so it's really important to think about the messaging that your plan is sending to people. What is it? Cuz people will will work the plan, right? They will they will cheat the plan if they can. <laughs> they will do what it tells them to do, and sometimes what it's telling them is, is that you only expect them to fail. And so you really have to be careful that you're not sending them that message. Or it's telling them to do bad things for the business. It's telling them to, you know, hide carriers from their teammates. It's telling them to, you know, take more money from a customer at the end of the month and then give it back in the next month because they want to try to hit them hit the next tier. right? Right. You want to make sure that your compensation plans are well aligned with your business strategy, with your structure, and with your company culture. That's an important point as well. So there are companies out there that want, you know, that have a very clearly defined culture that is hard-charging, highly competitive, highly individualistic, right? And for them, having individual commission plans makes a ton of sense. There are other companies out there that want to be very team-based. They absolutely don't want that individual hard-charging competitiveness because they want their team to work together, maybe they have a very high customer service proposition. So for those companies, it would be a disaster to do an individualized commission plan. So you have to think about how does your compensation plan either work with or work against your company culture?
0: Very interesting. Moving forward, in April, you are hosting a virtual instruction-led training with TIA Education. Can you talk a little bit about what participants can expect and look forward to in that?
1: Yep, Um, that is basically the the pre-con material that i've done for the last i don't know six seven years now at every tia conference i did it last year as well did it virtually so it's basically going through the different organization structure possibilities that exist inside freight brokers there's lots of different ways to go about it from cradle to grave to pod structure to the chicago split model and then to some other kinds of things like tables and stuff like that talking about all of that, and then talking about which compensation plans work well with those kinds of org structures, and then going through the steps that you would have to go through to develop new incentive compensation plans. So I can't promise that people are actually going to be able to walk away with new incentive plans because it's a pretty involved process, but they will certainly know how to go about it and what some of the critical questions are that they need to ask and data that they need to have ready in order to start the process to develop new compensation plans.
0: Okay. So it'll open a conversation. For them. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, that's all we have for you today. I just want to say thank you so much again for joining us. Um, everything you had to speak on was very insightful and very interesting. And I think our listeners will really love it. All right. Thanks so much, Liz. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Thanks again to Beth Carroll for joining us today, and we appreciate her insight into strategic compensation management. If you enjoyed today's podcast, also be sure to check out Beth's upcoming virtual instructor-led training in April. For more details, please visit www.tianet.org/vilt. Please visit www.tianet.org if you'd like to learn more about how TIA and TIA membership can help your business grow and become more profitable. Also, don't forget to join us online for TIA's 2021 Capital Ideas Conference, May 11th through 13th. And again, thanks to our sponsor, the TIA Foundation, for being a value partner in the production of this podcast.